Coming to you here from my porch here in Maui. You will hear maybe construction in the background, my cat purring, the birds, the chickens, all of it. I've actually pre-written out the episode for today and I've read it, I've recorded it already, but I wanted to come in here and just wrap a little bit as an introduction, preface it all. After pressing launch on the first episode, which I had said in that episode that I was going to be sharing next about my journey with ayahuasca, my healing from my dark night of the soul onward. But as soon as I press launch, I heard from my soul that there is some context I need to set first. And that is my story specifically with my mom and my dad. It was crazy to notice what my mind did over the next 24 hours. I had completely agreed and committed to doing it, but my mind went into all the doubts What if they listen to it? What if they get upset? What if they project their own things? What if you get further rejected, further shamed, in addition to all the other times where you already have been? There have been previous podcasts, previous interviews I've been on, previous books that I've written that my mom specifically has read or somehow found, somehow decided to listen to. And really handled it in a way that just really made me wrong for openly talking about these things. And at one point, I became pretty reserved about what I say publicly. And the one big story that unfolded between my mom and I, I I shared once at an event I held here on Maui called Restore the Heart. And so some people have heard that story in depth because it was in person. I felt really safe to do so. But today I get to share it in addition to the whole picture alongside the story with my dad, um, really from a new place. And it truly is from a place of completion and from a place of wholeness. And that's really a blessing. It's nice to reflect on that and to reflect on where I've come through this journey. It's certainly been, you know, ups and downs and I've been far from perfect as I've processed this trauma You know, I've had all my own emotions around it and how that's come out at certain times. Again, very imperfect and human at times. And I have just gotten a really, uh, so many mirrors into, um, yeah, what I really think about myself and what I really, how I value myself, how I don't value myself. This is I've been able to look at this over the years. You know, Do I value my voice? Am I willing to stand up for myself? Am I willing to do it with grace? And it's just been crazy, wild ride. <laughs> so the next 18 minutes are me reading what I wrote down, which was a great way for me to be able to share my story um, eloquently and just in a way that felt really good and honorable to me, considering it's so personal. So thank you for listening in advance, and I'll see you on the other side. My first memory was late at night. I was a baby and in a playpen or crib of some sort. My mom and dad, who were around 20 or 21 at the time, were in a huge fight. I could somehow see down the hall that their bedroom door was cracked, and I could hear them fighting. Eventually one of them, I don't know which one, storms out of the house and leaves. 
and then the other one does the same thing. I had the awareness that I was in the house alone, and I was afraid, unsettled. No one is coming for me. Eventually, my mom frantically burst into the door, realizing that I was all alone, and I remember her saying, I'm so sorry, and something about that my dad, thinking that my dad was still there or that he was coming back. When I was four years old, I remember a yellow rider truck in the driveway. My dad kneeled down to hug me goodbye. He was moving out. I was devastated, beyond confused. After he left, all I remember is my mom holding me and my baby sister, the three of us sitting on the floor crying, and my mom saying she's going to take care of us. I think we got to see my dad from there on Tuesdays and every other weekend. We always had so much fun together. All I wanted to do was to have fun with my dad, but sometimes he wouldn't show up and I would be crushed. One day, he didn't show up to daycare to pick up my sister and I. When my mom got the call, she rushed to get us and then we went over to my Saz's house where my dad must have been living at the time, his mom. He was standing in the driveway and when my mom got out of the car, they started fighting. I really don't know exactly what happened that day, but what I do know is the cops came and it was quite the drama. The restraining order journey started from there. I internalized my grief and devastation. All I wanted was my mom and dad to be back together and for us all to be a family again. We were in and out of my dad's life as well as his side of the family. My dad struggled with addiction to crack cocaine, alcohol, sex, etc. I remember hearing about him being in rehab at times or even in jail for short stints. It was always very clear through her language that my mom was super angry at my dad and that she hated the Marsluffs and thought they were absolutely horrible. It was also clear that if I wanted to be accepted and loved by her, I would need to concur with her opinions. There were times where we had to go to court and I said what I was meant to say based on all the stories I'd heard, but what I really wanted was just to be with my dad again. I missed him so much. In fifth grade, he was back in our life somehow, so I was practicing for the talent show with him. My plan was to sing Hootie and the Blowfish, Only Wanna Be With You, which was our song together. I was also going to jump on the pogo stick that he had bought me for as long as I possibly could. The talent show day came around, and while I was on stage, I could not spot him in the crowd. I went to the hallway afterwards and internalized all of my deep grief alone. He wasn't there, and to this day, I'm not sure if he was even invited or if he just couldn't make it. Soon after this time, he wasn't in our life at all. Not only was there now a restraining order in place until I was 17, but my stepdad had adopted us and my mom was trying to rebuild our life as a family. I was happy to have my stepdad in our life. I even called him dad and I loved him dearly. And at the same time, I yearned for my biological father. I had an entire drawer of items that reminded me of him, which my mom eventually threw away without asking me first. Around middle school, my mom found Jesus and became a born-again Christian. I followed in her footsteps. 
Our household became a tight ship of restrictions and rules on the basis of God and, quote-unquote, what was biblical. My mom had strong bouts of instability that came out through intense judgment of others, rigidity of opinions, and at its worst, screaming and locking herself in a closet, at times threatening suicide, physical reactions such as throwing, breaking things, or slamming me up against the hallway wall. I internalized pretty much everything, unconsciously numbing through heavy doses of sugar. I was sensitive enough to recognize what would result in acceptance and harmony in the home, so I mostly kept my mouth shut, saying, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, being a good Christian girl, getting straight A's, wanting to be a doctor, wanting to save myself from marriage. I actually thought at that time that I wanted those things, and it wasn't until later in life that I realized it was my trauma and fear of further abandonment and rejection that I developed codependent tendencies of people-pleasing and identifying with that which would get me love and approval. In high school, my mom and my stepdad must have had some sort of spyware on the family computer. Who knows what it was, but they found AIM messages between me and a boy that I was talking to. Innocent messages, but clearly indicating that this was my boyfriend. Whatever that meant for a girl who couldn't leave the house except for school, church, violin practice, and cheerleading. I was ridiculously shamed, grounded, and told that I was a liar and I have problems. I suppose, yes, I had hid the fact that I had a boyfriend, but that was because I wasn't allowed to have one. And for obvious reasons, I had tried to avoid rocking the boat 24-7. Speaking my opinion, my thoughts, my desires, my curiosities, I had zero evidence as to why I'd be safe to do so. Fast forward, by the end of my freshman year at University of Arizona, after having some more freedom and autonomy, it was becoming harder to keep my Christian good girl persona. I was dating a guy from high school, long distance, behind my parents' back because they did not approve of him at all, and I also had started drinking with the other college students. When I was back home that summer, after my freshman year, my mom, who was clearly snooping on me as per usual, found photos of me drinking and emails with my boyfriend. It was very dramatic, and I got in huge trouble. They took away my phone and my debit card. At work that day, I called my boyfriend with someone else's phone and I told him what happened. He then bought an extra phone and shipped it to me. My brother and sister brought up the package to my bedroom when it arrived. After I opened it, my mom stormed up the stairs. She came to my room and she told me to hand over the phone, which surprisingly I said no. I refused to give it to her, so she decided to come over and try to grab it. I was sitting on my bed and then I was being cornered as she physically wrestled me for this phone. I refused to give it up and I kept trying to flail my arms and legs to get her off of me. I said I was gonna call the cops. I somehow got around her and off the bed and I picked up a bulletin board which was on my floor as if I was gonna hit her and in <laughs> this was in order to scare her out of my room. It worked, and I slammed the door, locked it, and said another time that I'm calling the police. She freaked out on the other side of the door and frantically yelled, Fine, I'm going to call them too. Clearly, in fear, as to the consequences of her inability to control her emotional reactions. 
As I was on the phone with 911 telling them about the cell phone and the situation, I heard her on the phone on the other side of the door. I literally heard her yell, my daughter attacked me out of the blue and I need someone to come now. Two cops came that day. I was mostly upstairs waiting in my room while hearing my mom talk their ears off with her story and drama as soon as they arrived. I'll spare the details, but long story short, I heard my mom share her sob story about how her daughter used to be such a good Christian girl and blah, blah, blah. She showed them a cut on her chest, telling them I had attacked her out of nowhere. I was bewildered by how this cut even got there. Later, I realized that maybe it was my promise ring that had cut her while we were wrestling. Who knows? It's all extremely hazy, but I remember feeling blindsided by it all. And I truly can't even remember talking to the cops while they were there. I remember sitting on the couch at one point with one of them asking questions, but I clearly blacked out as to what was said. It was all happening so fast and clearly I was in shock. The police told me to go back up to my room for a bit and then I heard them say to my mom, in the state of Arizona with domestic violence calls, we legally have to take one or both of you. I couldn't make out what my mom responded with. Next thing you know, the female cop comes up to my bedroom and tells me I'm under arrest and she handcuffed me. I was stunned. How was that even possible? They escorted me downstairs and out the door with my mom, sister, brother, and stepdad who had just gotten home watching me. Stunned, I looked at my mom and I said, what in the world did you say to them? The male cop who I hadn't even gotten the chance to speak to got up in my face and yelled, Mackenzie, you better start taking responsibility for your actions. The last thing I remember is looking at my stepdad as they were escorting me out the door, completely bewildered that he was just watching this happen and not standing up to protect me. I went to jail for 24 hours, was given an assault charge on my record until later removing it with community service, and I was cut out from my entire family. Since that day, which was so traumatic for all involved, I have continued to personally experience much psychological and emotional abuse and manipulation. The entire family, grandparents, cousins, aunt and uncle, siblings, told throughout those years to ignore me, to not contact me because they need to quote unquote give me tough love, to learn my lesson and to quote unquote get help. I've been called bipolar, borderline, a liar. I've been shamed for publicly talking about my trauma and healing journey on podcasts, in my book, things like this. I've received horrible narcissistic letters saying I need to check myself into a psych ward before I'm spoken to again. And I've been on the receiving end of ridicule, judgment, gossip behind my back, and shame. For many years, I was asleep to the impact that my experiences from zero to 19 years old had on me. I'd gone into survival mode, completely asleep and numb to my inner feelings. And I even had wonderful moments of success, inspiration, and positivity in my life in the years following. But my unresolved trauma and wounding expressed itself through various shadow patterns, especially in my romantic relationships. And while I sit here today feeling whole, complete, healed, and incredibly blessed, 
I still get opportunities to further unpack the impact and rewrite and reprogram myself into new and healthy dynamics for my life and for my relationships. Apparently, part of my unique dharma in this life is to share openly and publicly about my very personal stories and lessons on my human journey. This does come with some discomfort at times and certainly responsibility, but I am here for it. I'm sure many of you are wondering where my relationship with my mom and dad stand now. In short, my dad and I have had the chance to reconcile and repair over the years, which is still unfolding, but nonetheless, there's a sense of completion of the past, meaning from here, it's all about what is possible in terms of deepening into our new relationship. Oh, and he's been sober for over a year now, and I've never seen him better. As for my mom, it's been quite the wild ride since I showed up on her doorstep in 2018, with some steps forward and some steps back. We haven't spoken since 18 months ago, and I am proud to say that my devotion to myself and my voice has strengthened tremendously. Through the fire, I've had to find the strength in order to truly commit to living a life with healthy relationships, free from codependency and trauma bonding. What this looks like for me right now is me leaning back and trusting life rather than forcing or initiating. If she wants to call or even to heal together, I am here, but I'm a strong no to any unhealthy, codependent, or manipulative behavior that disempowers me or devalues me or forces me to brush something so significant under the rug. And with all of this said, I would like to take this moment here to first of all, thank and honor my mother and my father for saying yes to me on a soul level as their first daughter. I honor the fact that they too are human and they have karmic contracts they said yes to in this life. My stories I shared here today are by no means meant to villainize or shame anyone, but rather to illuminate the more shadowy aspects of my bloodlines which give context for the bigger picture of this platform that is all leading to reclamation, redemption, healing, and love. I'm grateful for my soul contract with both my mother and my father and both bloodlines and all family members and everything that these soul contracts have led to in my life, which now at the end of this specific hero's journey is truly the most beautiful, remarkable, and blessed life across the board. It's an honor and a privilege to do this lineage work and to take full responsibility for my part in it all, for my own personal karma, for my own shadows and downfalls, for my sacred wound, and for my role in healing my ancestry to make space for more love and healthy relating in the future generations. I recognize that my family and my mom and dad specifically did the best they could with what they were given. And in fact, I have tremendous compassion for their own trauma, whether resolved or unresolved, that has led up to the stories I shared today. In this, I recognize how much of a blessing and a gift, a rare gift it is to personally receive the tools, the support, and the knowledge to come into full personal resolution that is ideally free from the past. And lastly, shout out to my mom and dad's beautiful qualities their hearts, their humor, their wit, their strength, and their brilliance, 
all of which I didn't fully give voice to in this expression today, but I see it all and I love it all. What a journey. This episode is dedicated to the wisdom and principles of Honoponopono, a Hawaiian healing practice. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. Honoponopono. This Soli Chat session was brought to you today by Cacao Ceremonial Drinking Chocolate, our registered nonprofit dedicated to protecting the native strains of cacao in Peru and Guatemala alongside the communities that cultivate them. The prophecy goes that when society has gotten out of harmony, cacao will come out of the jungle and into the world to restore balance between the head and the heart. Ceremonial grade cacao is true heart medicine and it has blessed thousands of lives, especially ours, since the birth of our organization six years ago. Last thing I'll share here is an invitation to join me in Sedona, March 3rd through 5th, for an intimate sisterhood immersion with a few other like-hearted women. For more information, you can email me at hello at flycacao.com. Big love, fam. Thank you so much for listening. Aloha.